Are you curious about bodies, pleasure, and possibilities? And what about curious about what others are up to on the planet when it comes to pleasure, sex, and play? Have you considered what pleasure can do for your life, your body, and your bank account? Do you know something magical, delightful, and out of this world orgasmic is not only possible for you, but totally available to you? If you're ready to be the magical, sexual, sexy beast you know you can be, and you just need the tools to get there, you're in the right place. Now, here's the host of The Pleasure Zone, sensual movement artist, relationship, and sex alchemist, Milica Yelenich. Welcome, my sweet pleasure seekers. Tonight, we are talking about how people actually go out and seek pleasure. We're talking about dating and courting and a little history of dating and courting. For those of you who are brand new to the show and to the station, the Inspired Choices Network has shows on every single topic you can imagine. And so if you go into any of the archives on Inspired Choices Network, you're going to find an abundance of things to enjoy and listen to. I've had some guests, some hosts be my guests and co-host with me on the show as well. So you can always go back and get some tasters of other uh, other hosts as well. So one of the things that I love talking about on the pleasure zone is guess what? Pleasure. I know it's astounding, right? Pleasure. Who knew that the pleasure zone is where we actually talk about pleasure and bodies? I know it's bold. And we talk about all of these things from sometimes we go to a sociological perspective, a psychological perspective, a historical perspective. Tonight we're doing sociological, a little anthropological in a way, and we're going to do some historical and going to look at the history of dating. Now, I really want to be clear on this. For those of you who are listening, we're looking at the history of dating from Western society. So Western society includes England, France, Germany, Europe at the time, but we're talking even mostly Western Europe, not even so much Eastern Europe, although some of the stuff that we're talking about will translate over to some Eastern European countries. I won't be naming all the countries constantly, just so you know, this is what we're talking about. And a lot of those values transferred over to North America when colonizers went and did their colonizing. So we're going to look at the history of basically a lot of the the stuff around um, English courting, because that, um, as we know, or maybe you don't know, at one point, uh, the British Empire was across the whole world. So those values were brought and colonized across the whole world. So we're going to look at the history of dating. It, it does get even more fascinating when you look at how the values that were brought over changed different countries for sure. But for now, I'm not going to go into a worldwide uh, spread on how colonization affect dating, although and sex, and it did. And it was that was also fascinating. When I choose to do a show on that, I have a friend who is an expert on colonization and decolonization. I'll be bringing her on for that chat. So in the meantime, we're going to be talking about courting, dating. What is the difference? You might have heard both of those words in your life. You might not have. And why on earth would I talk about this stuff? It's because I love talking about sex and bodies. And I love sharing the information that I find through research over the years with you guys on this show. 
And whether you're watching this, because you can watch this via video TV, and you can also watch, just listen, you know, take me for a ride while you're driving, while you're hanging out at home, doing all of your things you got to do, whether you're taking me for a walk, whatever you're doing, you can listen or you can watch, which is amazing. It's so great that we have all these options. So for a little history of dating and courting, the reason why I'm talking about this is because I love working with people on things like their relationships, on having more pleasure. I also work with people in their health. And I have my own practice where I do one-on-ones with people to assist them to improve their health, as well as to improve their pleasure through the health part. I'm very hands-on. I actually do hands-on body work and energy work, as well as I do work with other technologies that can assist you to have greater health. If you'd like to know more about that, feel free to connect with me through my website, melitsayelenich.com. That's M-I-L-I-C-A-J-E-L-E-N-I-C.com. And we can chat all about that. In the meantime, I have some great, fun, historical referenced stories for you. I will share with you what some of the names of the authors are in case you're interested in looking them up. I didn't always write down the names of the books because some of these were excerpts from some, some books. And also because I just didn't feel like it. So there you go. So tonight's query is all about dating and courting. And have you ever wondered what the difference between dating and courting is? Aren't they the same? They're actually not. And the fascinating part is to me, I mean, I'm a weirdo, so it might be fascinating to you too, is that we're going to get down to when dating actually came into existence, what courting was, and it maybe still is for some uh, classes of people. And what were some of the dating and courting rules of the past? What are some of the rules of today for dating? And the thing about some of the rules for today is, do we even have any? I'd love to hear from you guys what you think some of the rules of dating today are. And if you can join us in the chat room live on Inspired Choices Network, come over and chat. If you happen to be listening to this after the live broadcast, feel free to put it in anywhere that you are listening in podcast form. If you can add comments, I'd love to hear what some of your thoughts on the rules of dating today are. I'd love to use them as references for future shows. So if you want me to share your name and your ideas, I would love to do that. And... We're also going to be looking at how has dating and courting evolved over the last century, probably two centuries is what we're going to really go for, and what has influenced that. You will be surprised what the influences have been. I have to say that even I was surprised because I know a lot of things that have influenced people being able to have relationships, but I hadn't really dived deep into the dating and courting rules. Um, Western society dating and courting rules. I've really done that. So I'm really excited to have had the the chance and the time to be able to do the research, to be able to share this with you guys. And if you happen to know other things that I'm not sharing, I would love to hear your additions to what I am sharing. If you happen to be an expert in this field and you would love to come on my show onto the pleasure zone and talk about dating and courting from the research you've done, Maybe you live somewhere else in the world. Maybe you have an expertise on dating and courting in different continents. Maybe you have dating and courting in different parts of South America. Maybe you've got dating and courting from Africa or Asia or 
who knows, maybe you know things that I cannot share on this show that I don't have access to. Well, I might have access to it. It's that I'm going from my more matrilineal and patrilineal uh, family history. Uh, if I were to go back in my family history, this is where we would land is Western and Eastern Europe. So I didn't want to be trying to say things to you guys that are not from my own, uh, potentially my own history, uh, familial history. So I would love to hear from people who know about other dating practices around the world who have, you know, fascinating things to share on that. I, I, as much as I can share some of those things, I don't feel I'm an authority on that. And I would love to talk to somebody who is an authority on that. All right, that out of the way, if you happen to know anybody, bring them over to me. I would love to talk to them. So in this episode, we're going to really be focusing on the values that were brought over from the British and French, specifically mostly the British and a lot of the stuff that involves um, all things Britain. So let's start with the very basic of what is courting. And for some, for some of you, you might be like, it's just dating, isn't it? So in the 1570s, the there is a definition of the word court in the verb of court. So if you are courting, you are doing something in the future. So if you are to court someone, that's current and present. When you court someone, it's the endeavor. This is from etymology, uh, etym, etym online. Uh, I love the etymology online sites. So this is from an etymology that's online. And from the 1570s, to court someone means to endeavor to gain favor of by amorous attention. However, there's something else to do with this. If you look at the word court, it is actually also based on the behavior that is associated with royal courts. It's related to being in the court. So the court, if the royal court, um, actually that even goes back, I believe Henry VIII was the one he was really into tennis. I think he was, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Henry VIII who was into tennis. Now I'm just going offhand here, guys. So I don't I'm, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was Henry VIII who was into tennis and referred to it as the tennis court. And people would gather around the tennis court. And then he would actually um, have those who were in the court would come to court. And that's where a lot of decisions were made was in the court. So if you were gonna go in public with somebody, and be seen and start to get to know them. You might be doing that, especially if you were rich, you might be doing that in the presence of the king um, because you would, you know, you would often be introduced in sort of high society settings. So it could be in somebody's court that you were being introduced and that that space courting has to do with being public with your, um, with everything that you're doing. So we'll, get into some of the rules of courting. But even prior to that word courting, we had, we can look at some of the things ha that have to do with love and marriage in medieval England. So we're looking at the Tudor times from 1485 to like 1603. And during the Tudor times, there was actually not as many rules as we thought, or maybe lots of people didn't think, but when you think about 1400s, you might you might think inclination to think is lots of rules, uh, you know, lots of things going on where you're under the thumb of somebody. But it wasn't as 
strict as you might think. So especially if you were working class and they didn't really have that, you were either, they were not really called working class then. So you, you were either like rich or you were poor. You were either part of, of all of the aristocracy or, you know, you had, you know, you would be a servant to a Lord. So there'd be the Lords and ladies, and then you'd be all the people who were the servants to the Lords and ladies, whether you were the farmers or you were doing other things on their land. So we're talking about those people in medieval England were actually allowed to just generally go out if they wanted to, and one day declare that they're married and they could actually declare that they're married and then just go off and have sex. And that was okay because they declared it what they believed at the time. So the church, as much as the church started to get involved in a lot of things in England around the 12th century, 13th century, like 12, 15, 12, 17, something like that. There was, there was more tendency for people to be a lot more relaxed about relationships. So things were a little different in medieval England than we could quite imagine. And people would just say their I do's to each other. And they didn't. And just by saying that you were married, it was a lot harder to prove that you were married, though, because you didn't have necessarily witnesses and you didn't meet them because you could just get married. And God was the greatest witness. It was more beneficial to actually have somebody there to say, yeah, we saw that <laughs> we were we admit to them being married, you know, that they witnessed it, but it wasn't necessary. So really the only thing that the church did was that the church created and enforced a marriage law that couples didn't need the permission of their families or a priest to officiate. So that was interesting because it gave some freedom, although later on those freedoms went away. So there was actually more freedom in medieval England to get married than there was later on in the 17th and 18th century, maybe even uh, 1603 and beyond. So we'll go with that 17th, 18th, 19th century. So what was required at the time for people to be married? And, and so you got to get that sometimes people will just meet each other. They would get married because then they could have sex. That was one thing they might do. Uh, that a lot of times at that time, all that was required was for the two people to consent. And you could consent as long as you had hit puberty. So you were allowed to have sex, you were allowed to get married as long as you had hit puberty. And marriage was the only acceptable place for people to have sex in the medieval period, would actually just kind of translate it over till about 1960s. We will, probably won't get that far into history or the uh, like past the 1920s, probably in this, but we might. So sex in the medieval period was a really great reason to get married. And if that just meant that you and I went off into a field and said, I do, that was it. We could start getting it on. That was all that was required. So you can imagine this might have led to some confusion, I'm sure. However, it happened, and it happened frequently. Sometimes people wouldn't get married in the church at all. Um, in fact, it was really common that people didn't. So looking at this, 1485 to 1603, the Tudor period, Elizabethan period, this is the time of Shakespeare. And you think about 
um, you think about Romeo and Juliet, and in their story, they ran off and got married. They got married, from what I remember in the story, uh, in the play, is that they got married in front of a, a priest. So they had a witness, and they had somebody reading the, um, they had somebody doing the ceremony for them. So they got married. Married and wedded are different. I know, what? So wed was actually a word that was given to the gifts that you needed to be given. And there were generally three of them, three gifts that needed to be, or binding promises, which were like a ring, a kiss, maybe another ring at the time of marriage and signing of a contract. There were certain things that needed to be put in place in order for you to be married. But the wed part had to do with gifts which is different because now people say, I'm going to a wedding. You're actually probably not going to the gift part. You might be, you're probably going to the marriage part where the people sign the contract, but maybe not. Maybe you're just going to the party. And I think we often uh, misname that and that's cool, whatever. We're in a different era, so it doesn't really matter. All right. I don't even know what just happened to time, but I am heading into the next, the next first. The first commercial break, you're listening to The Pleasure Zone here on Inspired Choices Network, and we will be right back after this commercial. Are you secretly a voyeur, wondering what's going on in other people's sex lives? What if now is the time for a totally different sexual evolution? Are you interested in people who are pioneers of different sexual and pleasurable practices? Lean in now with Melita Yelenich where she will entice you and your body to know your own Pleasure Zone. On the Pleasure Zone radio show with sensual movement artist Melitza Yelenich, you'll receive tools, inspiration, and a foundation to allow yourself to receive more in your sex life and quite possibly other areas of your life as well. Listen for the Pleasure Zone with Melitza every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Mountain Time, and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world, knowing your voice matters, and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email becomeahost at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. This is The Pleasure Zone with sensual movement artist Melitza Yelenich. To participate in the program today, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You can also make the choice to ask or comment by email, info at melitzayelenich.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back, my sweet pleasure seekers. If this is the first show you've listened to that I've done, you can go back and listen to the other 400 and something, something, 500 and something, something shows that I've done where we've talked about all kinds of things that can go from bringing you out of trauma and into pleasure, looking at different methods to do that. And also things like healing, also things like, hey, I have erectile dysfunction. What can I do to give my lover pleasure? And 
instead of penetration. I have talked about a lot of stuff on this, this show. So if you go back and you listen to any of those episodes and you feel like you would really like to have a consultation with me, I offer 15 minutes for free. You just go through my website, mailitsayelenh.com and go on the booking link and book a uh, 15 minute chat with me, the quickie. Who doesn't want a quickie? All right. So now we're looking at, just before we went to break, we were looking at uh, a little bit of the history, the medieval history, Tudor times history of England and dating from then. And one of the things I'd uh, brought up was that, that a lot of uh, people, it was law that you were allowed to get married as long as you had hit puberty and that you'd consented to this. You didn't even need your parents. Parental consent was not required. So later on that changed though, in England um, in the 18th century. And however, though in Scotland, the rules didn't change. So there were small towns that were just over the border in Scotland where the English would go to just defy their families and get married. And maybe they were like 16 and 17 and they weren't old enough to get married in England, so they'd go over and they'd get married in Scotland. So we're going to get back to the medieval stuff, though. So the medieval church uh, was really all about giving um, giving the idea that consent was the number one foundation and priority for marriage. So as long as you consented, you were good. And a lot of times they encouraged and and society encouraged families to be involved. They encouraged people to marry in their classes. They encouraged a lot of this stuff. And a lot of marrying outside of classes didn't really happen because you had your super, super wealthy, like aristocrats. And then you had, you know, you had your lords and ladies, and then you had people who were not lords and ladies. Although once in a blue moon, you might find that somebody would move up the ranks. So though for for a lot of um I was looking at some of the other history, you know, for for a lot of people, you weren't allowed to be married even to somebody who you shared a I think it was a great, 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 great grandmother or grandfather in common. However, if you were aristocracy, you could pretty much marry your second cousin, as they still do to this day, pretty much. I mean, in the 18th, 19th century, when in Victorian era, Victoria married Albert, who was like, I think her second cousin, I think they had a grandmother in common. But anyway, they were like, essentially either first or second cousins. So that happened. Anyway, that was a marriage of love. And that actually changed a lot of things especially in England, where it was not, you weren't necessarily getting married for status. You weren't getting married because of certain um, connections. You could get married at 11. Victoria and Albert, they actually put a lot of, a lot of what they had for each other was represented in the rest of society and kind of trickled out. So that changed a lot of things, which is kind of cool when you think about how one couple's relationship could have that much influence so all right we are gonna move along charlie so like i mentioned earlier that having sex back then in like medieval tudor england having sex actually created a legally binding marriage so isn't if you look back on your life right now and think about all the people 
you had sex with, if that was considered a legally binding marriage, and keep in mind, bigamy was not allowed, you know, there's a fun, like, adventure in my brain to go, wow, who would I have, like, if I couldn't have bigamy, but then, like, have to have, like, divorce, or maybe, let's just say I was allowed to have bigamy or polyamory or any of that, it would be polyamory, and there would be a whole, like, uh, and I'd be married to a lot of people if it was everybody that I had sex with. I don't want to give numbers, but I'm just saying. So for some of you out there, though, you might still be married to the people that you first had sex with. So you might you might have actually done exactly this uh, thing where you had sex with somebody and married them and you stayed with them forever. That's possible. And I do know people that that has happened to them in their life. So, so now we're moving on. We're moving on from, because I want to try and give you guys at least as much information I can from different eras. Um, so we're moving out of Tudor England. Um, and as I mentioned in Tudor England, and it kind of carried through later on uh, for a few centuries as well, is that you needed to have your three promises. And the three promises that a courting couple could, would do would be that they would have to give each other some gifts like coins or rings and do practical things and also things like like it could even be practical things like slippers or purses or whatever but the gifts were part of the promises and these things were really helpful uh in in solidifying the relationship to take it from courting to betrothal so betrothal is what we maybe now call engaged and betrothal was a ceremony that the couple where the couple exchanged vows and promises to be faithful to each other then then there was beyond that then there was the marriage so then they would sign the contract and then they could be later married in a church as well so you could have your betrothal which was very formal uh agreement so these are all like contractual things that people were getting into the reason i wanted to talk about this too is because i've been like doing some dives on contract contract law <laughs> And marriage is so part of contract law. So people would later on, when they were betrothed, the ring would go on a, a certain finger. I think it would go on your on your right hand. And then when you got married, it would go on your left hand. Yes, that's correct. So in why I say that is because in in Serbia, where my dad's from, it's the opposite. So when you're married, it's on your right hand. When you're engaged, it's on your left. And I always have to like flip it around <laughs> and figure out what's what, what's what for who, for where. So we're skipping ahead a few generations, moving into the 18th century. And the 18th century did some really cool things. The 18th century had homes that had specific purposes. So even what would be what we would call like maybe. Uh, middle class now, upper middle class, these people all still had uh, people, I was going to say slaves, but they got paid and they probably did have slaves. But anyway, they had, they also had um, homes that had a lot of rooms. They weren't peasants. They weren't poor. These were people who were on the rise. There were, it was a little bit more of a, a new upcoming class happening that wasn't the aristocracy and wasn't totally poor you know, people started becoming more um, interested in 
well, they were their opportunities were there to have more wealth, and people were traveling more, going to to other countries, and that was I think that also had an influence. So the 18th century brought new spaces um, in the home and everything as well, which was kind of a fascinating thing that as the home changed and has as different spaces became available in the home, like people would have salons where, you know, you would gather in libraries, you would have the different spaces that you could actually court in them. So that changed a few things. And also new things like new venues uh, for mingling started to be created, like like pleasure gardens and concert halls. And it wasn't just going to the pub, although you could, prior to that, get married in a, in a pub. Uh, you could also get married in bed while you're getting it on. I do, I do. That's how, that's how wild that was. So these different spaces actually created a whole different way to court. So you didn't, you know, if you were in pleasure gardens, you didn't have to be sitting in a, in a room and being, <clears throat> being, um, what's the word for it? Being, basically surrounded by the family and hounded right so family was really big in courtship they were all involved then you also had to like if you were aristocracy and you were going to meet somebody there would have been information sent about you previously you would have to get through the staff then you'd have to get through the parents then you'd actually have to get to the person that you were trying to court and all the courting would be done publicly you would have somebody there to chaperone the whole time so that and you would not touch each other. So sometimes the not touching would go right to the day of your marriage. And if you ever want to see what that looks like in modern, in the modern times, there's a show on Netflix. I think it's still on. And it it has to do with um there is a it's I think it's called The Matchmaker. And it's a Jewish woman who works with all um all different all different Jewish people, whether they're Hasidic or whether they're Orthodox, <clears throat> whatever, whatever walk they come from. Um, and she gets them to date. And some of the very strict Jewish people will have very, something very similar to this courting that goes on where there is introduction and then there's the meeting and approval of the parents. And then there's the meeting of the person and then there's chaperoning sometimes that happens and there's no touching that happens. So kind of gives a modern take on what that might look like. So the idea for when you would court would be that you basically, if you were a woman and guess what, there wasn't really dating for, dating for, for you know, women or dating for men, but they were absolutely allowed to write romantic letters to each other. And in fact, it was encouraged. There was an import that I can't remember right now, but um, the romantic letters were really common and encouraged and some discovery. If you've listened to any of my shows on the history of sex, there was like some discovery of each other that could go on if it was like between women or between men, there could be some curiosity, but you were encouraged to get married. So you could play with these people, but you couldn't marry them, except there was one way uh, that, that men could have the civil union with each other and it was called metellotage and metellotage is the unit of pirates so it is 
it was an agreement among pairs of the European sailors, in particular buccaneers in the 17th and early 18th century, that it was more of an economic partnership. So Métis, the word Métis comes from Matelots, Matelotage. Métis would agree to share their incomes and inherit their partner's property in case of their death. So my kid told me about that, actually, as we were watching this show called Our Flag Means Death. And then Ziva went off and researched whether the pirates could get married. And in fact, they could. And it is still part of the Uniform Commercial Code to this day. So if, you know, if there's a part of the world that you live in and gay marriage is not allowed and you're a man and you want to get married, get yourself on a boat, become a pirate, engage in metallotage. That is an option. All right, we're going to head off to our next commercial break. You're listening to The Pleasure Zone here on Inspired Choices Network. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some things that went on in the 18th century and beyond. Are you secretly a voyeur, wondering what's going on in other people's sex lives? What if now is the time for a totally different sexual evolution? Are you interested in people who are pioneers of different sexual and pleasurable practices? Lean in now with Milica Yelenich, where she will entice you and your body to know your own pleasure zone. On the Pleasure Zone radio show with sensual movement artist Milica Yelenich, you'll receive tools, inspiration, and a foundation to allow yourself to receive more in your sex life and quite possibly other areas of your life as well. Listen for The Pleasure Zone with Milica every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Mountain Time, and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Interested in masturbating for money, copulating for consciousness, and pleasuring on purpose? 21 Days of Sexual Magicism with sensual movement artist Milica Jelenic is an exploration of tools, processes, and actions that you can use to create more for your life, your body, your money inflows, and so much more. Graduated learning for all levels of interest. Learn at your own pace via video classes or join the yearly live class. Take a peek at www.milicajelenic.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. This is The Pleasure Zone with sensual movement artist Melitza Jelanić. To participate in the program today, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. You can also make the choice to ask or comment by email, info at melitzayelenich.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back, my sweet pleasure seekers. Just before break, I had mentioned one of the history facts about metalletage that I love. It's one of my favorite history facts about gay marriage. 
And it is where, if you didn't listen to that part, it is all about where if you were a buccaneer and you had some stuff like your coinage and your cash and your, you know, all your, all the things that you stole and you didn't want it to just go to waste, you could leave it to your matey, which you would get through something called metalletage. So I love that fact of history because when people are like, nah, they get all bent out of shape and twisted and their penises get in a knot around gay marriage. I love the fact that it goes back. It goes way back several hundred years and there's no denying it. All right. So next we are going to talk a little bit about something else fun that the 17th century brought us that actually changed courting as well. So nowadays we have you know, apps like Tinder and uh, I don't use these apps, so I can't think of them, but I'm going to go with Tinder and Grindr and all the ones that pop up in my head at first. Uh, so these things all exist as ways to meet people that you otherwise wouldn't meet. Now, back in the day, we had variations of that. I mean, back in my day, we had variations called the want ads and you could place a want ad in a newspaper and be like, single white female seeking three single white females and two single men and i don't know why we always put that color in there but anyway people would do that and then you could create your own orgy just by request if you wanted to and that would go, could go in newspapers back then and there were people who did uh there were matchmakers there are still matchmakers out there but even before that, and there were matchmakers going way back, several thousand years, um, and probably goes right back to Cupid. Anyway, so when we look at other ways people have dated or found, found each other, the printing press had a really big uh, impact on this. So one of the things that people would do would be they would print ads in newspapers. And when the printing press became more prominent and was used a lot more and people could afford, the regular person could afford to print an ad, uh, well, not too regular. It would be somebody who had enough money to be able to say, get on a boat, um, even if it was like the bottom of the boat, get on the boat and travel and find somebody, you would find people placing ads for the Lonely Hearts ads. So for some of you who are now thinking Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, yeah, pretty much this is the Lonely Hearts, right? The Lonely Hearts are people looking for other people. So if you were in the 17th century and you were looking for some somebody to court, you would be likely, and I might've said date, but there was no dating yet. If you were looking to court, you might've placed a lonely hearts ad, hoping that when you traveled to wherever you were going, that somebody would see this and they would be interested and they would meet you. And that is how a lot of people did meet when they were traveling. It's kind of a cool thing, I think, that you know, we had dating ads going way back. And these these ads would go out to all parts of the the British Empire. So they would, you know, you there were people that would bring whole loads of husband hunters over from, say, like British India, and they would bring them over 
and they would make sure that um, you know people could meet. There would be all kinds of writing that go would go back and forth, and then you know the shipload of husband hunters would come over to wherever they were headed, and they would meet their potential mates. Right, so that really changed. Also, that dating stuff. It's weird. I mean, it's the printing press putting out the ads that also changed a lot and it restructured the entire postal service from the 1840s onward. And it made it much easier for people to court by correspondence so they could send letters back and forth. And the need for it was so big that they actually had to reform and restructure the postal service in the 1840s. It's amazing what courtship has created change uh, around the world like it it actually forced change on the postal service which is amazing um, although my show is not about the postal service i could talk about the postal service for a really long time and the importance of it but i won't i won't go off on that rant today so a lot of the all of that courting was all this public courting but now we've got this option you could kind of court a little privately by correspondence, which made things a little different. It also had it so that people were feeling like, oh, a little rebellious, right? Like now you didn't necessarily have to date who mommy and daddy said you had to date. And then you also had the influences of like Jane Austen writing romance novels and people going, oh, things can be different. So again, the printing press had a, another big impact because now books were being printed. They were more accessible, more affordable. People are reading books, getting ideas, wanting to date. Isn't it wild what the printing press changed? It's kind of crazy that it changed that, which then in effect changed the postal service. Like, wow, um, yay Gutenberg. So most courtship in general was conducted in public places. But these very private letters could be happening. And those private letters were actually happening not just between men and women. Those private letters were happening between women and women and men and men. And I think that one of the most fascinating things when I took um, I took a course in university on the history of sexuality was uh, when I read about the fact that women wrote these like super loving romantic letters to each other, it actually blew my mind that they didn't get in trouble and in fact that it was encouraged like that threw me for a loop because even in the 90s there was still a lot of judgments about anything lgbtq so we're really we've really come uh far away or have we i don't know i mean we could write letters before and, and it was encouraged and maybe we're just just coming back to the it's but again they weren't allowed to be married uh, unless you were a pirate uh so you know that was a bit limiting so courtship at that time was it was everything that occurred before marriage so that's why i kind of talked a little bit about marriage as well but we are going to talk about some few other fun things i want to chat what is dating and get that in before the show ends so dating, the word dating actually came up in 1896. And the term, uh, the term dating was coined, we believe, the first use of the word was attributed to an American columnist, George Aid, 
And it was in the Chicago record that they saw this in 1896 in one of his columns. And he told the story of a clerk named Artie whose girlfriend's head was getting turned by other men. And he used the word dating in it. So that in 1896, the year my great grandma was born and she died in 19, uh, she died in 2002. She was 106 when she died. And I just like when I see that 1896 pop up anywhere, it reminds me of her. And, you know, everything in her dating life that she went through too, which was she had a fabulously interesting life and ended up marrying her sister's boyfriend. Yes, she did. And she was pregnant before she got married. So she was a rebel. She did have her first child. I think that was in 1914 or 1913 and went on to have several more. And uh, yeah, wild woman. All right. That is my story of the 1896, the year the word dating was invented. And dating replaced courtship. And it replaced courtship because of a few things. There was, for one, we've got the word came out, but then we've got a war that happens. World War I happens, and that changes a lot of things. It prompted a whole generation of American men and women to think about their life and think about their life in a different way. Even though the Boer War had happened just, you know, a decade or two decades prior to that, the World War One had a bigger impact on the way that people viewed things and the changes um, and the attitudes around dating uh, was really changed a lot. And also women's rights started to become more important. And there was like, like women looking for liberation and their clothing changed, you know, they were showing their ankles then. So that was daring. And a lot of their other choices were pretty daring too. And we'll talk a little bit about dating at the time when the word dating showed up in history. We'll talk about that when we come back from break. You're listening to The Pleasure Zone here on Inspired Choices Network, and we'll be right back after this commercial. Are you secretly a voyeur, wondering what's going on in other people's sex lives? What if now is the time for a totally different sexual evolution? Are you interested in people who are pioneers of different sexual and pleasurable practices? Lean in now with Melitza Yelenich, where she will entice you and your body to know your own pleasure zone. On the Pleasure Zone radio show with sensual movement artist Melitza Yelenich, you'll receive tools, inspiration, and a foundation to allow yourself to receive more in your sex life and quite possibly other areas of your life as well. Listen for the Pleasure Zone with Melitza. Every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Mountain Time, and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. This is The Pleasure Zone with sensual movement artist Melitza Yelenich. To participate in the program today, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. You can also make the choice to ask or comment by email info at melitzayelenich.com now back to the program welcome back my sweet pleasure seekers we are talking about the history of courtship and dating and we are talking about dating and just before break i had mentioned that the word dating itself was probably first written and read uh, in 1896 and became more common 
during the prohibition just after World War I, uh, where we had a generation of young Americans who were looking to change their lives and especially young American women who started to realize that all the restrictions that had been placed on them by Victorian values, that was changing a lot. Um, already at this point, there, some of the values had changed even from Edwardian era and they're moving into a whole different look on life. They're looking at things in a different way. The clothing is changing. So as their clothing becomes less restrictive, their attitudes towards life in general become less restrictive. It's kind of an interesting thing to look at. I love watching the history, different history uh, shows on clothing. Bernadette Banner is one of my favorites. And um, it's a trend that I've noticed that the less restrictive the clothing in general, uh, it's a reflection of society. It's also a reflection of people's attitudes. And they also started to then be in places that maybe you didn't find young women before, like in places like speakeasies where you weren't finding women before. They were more at home. They were in positions and roles. It also would have only happened maybe if they were prostitutes that they would actually be in these places prior to that. And now women are just going out to have some fun. They're not allowing certain values to restrict them. And also at the time, um, there were two constitutional amendments following the war that played important roles in this as well. And one of the one of the first ones was the 18th Amendment, which had pro prohibited the making, transporting, and selling of alcoholic beverages. So now all of a sudden there is a change in things. So people are now becoming a little bit more um with prohibition. Uh, I had family who were rum runners back in the day. <laughs> I mean, and so I think about them when I think about prohibition, but what it did was put people underground. And so you could go to clubs that, you know, the clubs were already restricted, you know, so you weren't going to, you know, you weren't even supposed to know they existed. So women going into them wasn't as bad as women going into, say, an all boys club in the 1890s. This was different. And then women also had the right to vote. And that created some difference too. So now they're making choices for themselves. And that means that they can choose to love and choose to date who they want to date. And then also with the change of getting different careers, the career started to shift a lot. They could be doing so many more things in, in the early 1900s, 1920s onward that they were not doing at all historically before this. And their clothing also had to change for that as well which is kind of an interesting thing because then, you know, your body gets a little bit more accessible. You don't have 35 different layers to unravel and like corsets to undo to, you know, get it on and have somebody access your body. A lot of those restrictive things that prevented people from accessing your body also were very reflective at the time of what was going on um, in the courting world. So now women are being empowered that you know they're going to underground clubs they're going to drink alcohol publicly they're hanging out with more than one man at a time and maybe women too oh, there were a lot of speakeasies that were very uh, openly lgbtq um especially in berlin at this time there was a lot of like open sexuality happening and this 
all these different things were very welcoming. And so women could go and they didn't have to be chaperoned for like one of the very first times in centuries, they didn't have to be chaperoned. And then they started to get jobs and they even were like cocktail waitresses and things. So their lives in dating changed forever, essentially because a few things, we had the printing press that changed a lot of dating from, from courtship to almost a style of dating. And then that further increased because people started to desire love. And then we had these amendments in, uh, in the US that created a change as well. And the war and people's desire to just live life and not be so repressed and having the right to vote also would have changed that because now you also have the right to choose. So it's amazing how even in 200 years, since 1823 to now, the difference that we've had because between 1485 and around the 1700s, not a lot had changed in three or 400 years. And then we have, we start to have a shift and that shift starts to come in right around the printing press, which is all fascinating to me. You know, prior to 1485 and people are just randomly getting married, there was still that marriage thing happening. There was still, you know, an idea that you needed to be locked in with somebody for life. So now as things started to get a little bit more relaxed, even into the 1920s onwards, you're starting to see unmarried people having sex. You're starting to see that grow and grow. You know, you get the sexual revolution of the 1960s. And you start to notice that there's a shift, you know. So anybody who had grown up in the 1870s and probably lived to the 1940s would have seen a massive change in all of the things to do with, uh, I can't even imagine the changes they saw having to do with dating and everything. Um, even my great grandmother and uh, her, the difference from what she did for dating to what I did. I mean, hell, she got pregnant and got married uh, very young. She was like 17. So yeah, it was, she was in a different time. So now we've got more people making choices and we still have it. It's still happening to this day, more and more choice. And now we've got all these things that are opening our worlds up to have even more choice. I'm curious, for those of you listening, who among you would love to go back to the old courting ways, have people introduce you, have some formal dating, get to know each other? Who's into that? You know, if you're listening on somewhere that you can write, um, you can write comments like hashtag Victorian era, hashtag the past, whatever you want to write. I'd love to hear your comments. If you're all about dating nowadays and you think this is way better hashtag the now. I would love to hear your take and what you feel about that and where you think we can improve even nowadays for dating and some etiquette. So until next week. Thank you for listening to The Pleasure Zone with sensual movement artist Milica Yelenich. The Pleasure Zone returns next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Mountain and 5 p.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. We hope you'll join us. Until then, have the best week of your life by choosing to be turned on and tuned in to your body.